couple of months ago, in fact, in, in November, I saw this uh, headline and it said this. It said, thief tries to escape FBI using underwater sea scooter. And so, of course, I thought, well, I got to read that. And so here's the story. It says Matthew Piercy wanted for his role in an alleged thirty five million dollar Ponzi scheme made the attempted getaway when agents tried to arrest him. So it starts out with this car chase and it says the 44 year old led agents on a chase to the shoreline of California's largest reservoir before grabbing a Yamaha 350 submersible device and disappeared beneath the depths. Um, there's three problems with uh, his escape attempt. Number one, uh, the police could see his ripples. Uh, number two, this thing maxed out at four miles per hour. <laughs> and the worst part was that uh, on a full tank, it would only last 25 minutes. So if you do the math, that means he got out the whole distance a little over a mile and a half. <laughs> and the police were not very happy with him. Uh, today's message is called Creating Ripples. We're going to be talking about the beginning of Christ's ministry. We, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and today we're in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can you can turn there, or you can just follow along with, with the scripture that I'll, I'll have on screen. Um, but again, much like uh, much like throwing a pebble into a pond, I mean, that's really how Jesus' ministry started. You know, it just began with a few ripples. But over 2,000 years later, we can see the impact as if a tidal wave or a tsunami has hit the world. In fact, hit the entire universe. Our three points today are going to be dawn, drawn, and phenomenon. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 4. Our title today is Creating Ripples. And our three points are dawn, drawn, and phenomenon. Let's pray together. And let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you, Lord, long time ago, you put it on the heart of Matthew uh, to write uh, the story of Christ. And Lord, your Holy Spirit guided him uh, which stories to uh, include and which stories to omit. And Lord, we have that message today. Father, uh, more than Matthew writing to us, it's almighty God speaking to our hearts, Lord. And I pray you would do just that. You would speak to every heart in this room or that might be listening online. That you would touch every heart, Lord, and you would change us, Lord. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So we begin with dawn. And this has to do with Jesus, uh, the very beginnings of his ministry. And he is described as a light in the darkness. So we'll start with Matthew chapter 4, verse 12. It says, now when he heard that John, this is John the Baptist it's talking about, okay? When he heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew into Galilee. So there's that phrase there. When he heard that John had been arrested, why did Jesus choose Galilee? Well, just one possible reason is that strategically uh, he could continue where John the Baptist had begun already. Now, to get a better idea why it was strategic to start in Galilee, I want you to see this map and you'll see uh, two circles and it may be hard to read. But uh, that top circle is around the, uh, the the area of Galilee. And that bottom circle is Jerusalem, which is a good distance away. And so, again, thinking strategy, uh, Jesus began in a relatively remote area. So if you think about it, uh, it was very obscure place, but it allowed him to gain a following, 
to gain some momentum, to gain a reputation, for word of mouth to spread uh, before he had any opposition. And then, uh, and again, the other reason is that if he had started in Jerusalem near the capital, um, surely uh, with his uh, radical message, he would have um, he would have run into instant opposition before he was ever established. And so that's just a couple of reasons why he would start in Galilee. Okay. Now we continue in verse thirteen, and it says this: and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun. And Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Verse 14, we see this phrase that says what was spoken might be fulfilled. So long before this time, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, God had made a prediction about where Christ would begin his ministry. And so part of it was just a fulfillment of prophecy. God always keeps his promises. So if God says it, it's guaranteed to happen. In verse 16, it mentions this. It said that the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light on them a light has dawned. Well, it's talking about a spiritual darkness. It was all they knew. In fact, they were content in that darkness. And then, you know the Christmas story, a light came and dawned among them. It was God taking the initiative. It's not that they went looking out for him, but Christ came and he came looking for them. And eventually for us as well. If you picture John the Baptist's ministry, as the moon, the moon does not shine its own light. All it does is reflects the light of the sun. So the moon comes out in the nighttime. But if we think about the moon, although it gives some light, it reminds us of the greater light to come. And so there came a point when John the Baptist's ministry was finished and he was put in prison. But then the great light, the sun, the Christ himself appeared. We go on in Matthew uh, 4, verse 17. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, these are actually the same words as John the Baptist. Uh, so we have to see Matthew chapter 3, and we can look at that. from Matthew chapter 3, from a couple of weeks ago when Marcus was preaching. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And look at the words he used. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus was speaking the exact same message John the Baptist preached, it connected their ministries. It connected John the Baptist to the Christ. Now, he didn't change the message right off. At the beginning, he just stuck to the basics. But this was the dawning of his ministry. In the summer of 1982, Billy Graham came to preach Superdome in New Orleans. Now, I remember this for, for a lot of different reasons, but at the time, uh, I was in my, my last summer in college, and I was actually working at First Baptist Church in Lafayette. And so the plan was to bring four vans of young people, uh, of teenagers, down from Lafayette to the Superdome to hear Billy Graham. 
Part of the reason I remember the story is because uh, all the vans had the name First Baptist of Lafayette and the phone number. And somebody called in and complained about my driving. Okay, but a long time ago. Okay, but uh, there were other reasons as well. And I remember uh, y'all may not know this, but but uh, I actually majored in speech. And um, and so uh, I was just always intrigued by by people's mannerisms, how they speak what they do when they're on stage, that kind of thing. And here I was about to see Billy Graham. I mean, think about it. Billy Graham, and in in case you don't know this, he has spoken to more people about Christ than anyone else that's ever lived on the planet, Uh, at least least before the Internet. I'm not sure about that now. But for sure, uh, he was able to gather people into stadiums. Everywhere he went, people found out he was coming. And then stadiums stadiums, y'all, would be filled to hear Billy Graham preach the message of Christ. So here I was as a 22-year-old in college, you know, and again, there was four vans of young people, and we get to the Superdome, and I took my seat, and at the time, uh, I used to uh, take notes a lot, and so I had this little binder that I actually found uh, in my office uh, at home last night. I had to knock the dust off it, okay? And I thought, I wonder if I still have those notes. And sure enough, they're in here, y'all. Um, now, I remembered, and it's been a long time, right? It's been almost 40 years. I actually remember the text that he used because as I sat there anticipating him speaking and whatever the entertainment was ahead of time, the music, all that kind of stuff, I was just thinking, man, bring Billy Graham out here. I want to hear him. And I remember thinking, I wonder what he's going to preach about. Is he going to take one of Paul's epistles and explain it clearly to us? Is he going to talk about one of the Old Testament characters and trace that life all the way to Christ? What is the great Billy Graham going to preach on? And you know what? He preached on one verse, John three sixteen. It's the most famous verse in the Bible, right? Most of us here probably have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Billy Graham preached on one verse. That had impact on me. Now, I didn't remember his three points, but last night I found his notes, June 13, 1982. Would you like to know Billy Graham's three points during that message? (laughs) Amy does. (laughs) So the rest of you just bear with me and Amy. Okay, all right. Here's his three points, y'all. The great Billy Graham, are you ready? Number one, you have to live. Number two, you have to die. Number three, you have to stand before God. Simple, simple, simple. I learned a lot uh, from him that night. Uh, That man was a humble man of God. And if anybody had pressure on, you know, how he was going to make up his message and what he was going to preach on, I mean, it would be a guy that filled stadiums everywhere he went. And yet what I learned from him that night was he was more interested in preaching a message that would please God. And I'm sure before he ever walked out there, he prayed and then he thought, John three sixteen, Okay, I'm going with that. Just a simple message. I learned from him uh, that when we speak, we should speak God's message, not our own. Uh, we shouldn't try to impress anybody and we shouldn't try to be anything that we're not. When Christ began his ministry, he began it simply. At the dawn of his ministry, 
He just preached exactly the words of his forerunner, of his cousin, in fact, John the Baptist. Okay, wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was just trying to create ripples. Our second point today is drawn. So this is when Jesus began to call his first disciples. Now, just imagine what that was like. You have the Lord of all creation. And he's about to choose those who would carry on his ministry after he was gone. He was going to train them for three years. And then he was going to leave the fate of Christianity in their hands. And there was no plan B. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Okay, all right. Verse 18 says, uh, he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, not Jerusalem, not Herod's court. Nowhere impressive. Uh, just this remote place where the inhabitants were less cultivated and less refined than you might find in other places. Uh, just normal, common, everyday people. Okay. Uh, part of the reason um, when you hear, uh, you may remember this, because we're not going to look this up, but when Peter denied Christ, one of the people that uh, was accusing him of knowing Christ said, your speech betrays you. Remember that phrase? Okay, it's the same idea. They could tell where he was from. Uh, Let me give you an example. It would be like this. It would be like if a couple of us uh, flew over to London and we were actually in Buckingham Palace. Okay, and we heard the servants speaking the Queen's English. And then all of a sudden, if we were to hear one of the servants in that palace say, where yet, darling? Okay, we would instantly know you're not from here. Okay. And it was the same way with these first just commonplace, normal people from this area in Galilee. Jesus chose the least likely. I want to talk about a few of the people he chose, okay? Uh, there was Peter. And one of the early stories uh, when Jesus, you know, is with, uh, is with Peter was when they had the big catch of fish that came into the boat. And Peter's response was he dropped to his knees before Christ. And he said, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. And yet this guy was one of the ones that Jesus was going to pull in to his to his close knit group, those close 12 apostles. This guy who said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, 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 I'm going to call you the rock. You're the steady one of the bunch. There was another pair of brothers. There was James and John. And uh, they argued so much, right, that Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And so I can just hear him calling one of them thunder and the other one flash. That's how well he got to know those guys. And then I think about Thomas. You know, it was the disciples that branded him uh, the doubter, right? And we, we all, or, or most of us anyway, would remember the story that after the resurrection, um, Thomas is the one that doubted. But you know what? When you read the whole story, you find out that the other apostles... Uh, they were doubting until they saw Christ. And so after they saw him, now they tell Thomas he doubts. And so they, they stick him with that nickname. Okay. One of my favorite stories about Thomas, and again, we're not going to read this, but was when Jesus told the apostles that he was going to go to Jerusalem. And it was Thomas the doubter that said, 
Let us go with him that we may die with him. <laughs> I think Jesus must, must have had such a good time with these guys, just getting to know them and preparing them to leave Christianity in their hands. But really, if you think about it, they were all in God's hands. And so they were in good hands. Uh, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It gives you insight into the type of people that God chooses. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He tells you what he does, and he tells you why he does it. He chooses the least likely so that we might not boast around him, but rather we would boast only in him. For the most part, he chooses the least likely. We go on in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And he said to them, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Now, I love this because he used language that they actually understood. I mean, they were fishermen. They, they did this for a living, and they've been doing this for a long time. Another thing Christ noticed is that uh, there was a pre-existing condition. And this is what I mean by this. So far, uh, he had picked out two sets of brothers and they were the four of them were fishermen and they were business partners, which means over the years before he ever came on the scene, they'd already worked out the kinks, right? They'd worked together side by side. They'd been angry at each other. They had you know, figured out each one's strengths and weaknesses And so now as Jesus approached them and wanted them to be four of his 12, he was only adding one ingredient. He was adding a new leader who could redirect them and redirect their focus from fishing for fish to fishing for men, fishing for souls and having an eternal impact. Um. They were used to casting a net. And if you picture that, when you cast a net, it's a, there's a broad outreach that brings in a bunch of fish. But from that net, you would select a few, right, that stood out. And that's what Christ was teaching them. There was going to be the broad outreach where thousands would come and, you know, they would feed them and do miracles, those kind of things. But there would be those few that he would spend most of his time and turn those guys into leaders. Um, Eventually, there were women as well, by the way, that were uh, given leadership. Um, all the country was called, but these few were called out. Now, we go on in verse 20. It says this. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Well, I love that. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. God is looking for fat people, okay? This is something Marcus has said. This is something that a bunch of us have heard over the years. But let me explain what I'm talking about, okay? The next slide. Okay, by fat, disciples are fat, F-A-T, meaning faithful, available, and teachable. I want to talk about that just, just a little bit. By faithful, I mean, just ask yourself this question. Am I faithful in the little things, in the little things? How about my, my time with God that no one else sees? What does that look like? You know, what does my daily walk with God look like? Is my relationship with Christ my deepest passion? Am I connected to other believers? 
And I throw that one in because we're living in an era where more and more people who claim to love the Lord find a way to excuse themselves uh, from being connected to other believers. And they'll say, you know, I don't need those people. I don't need church. And you know what, y'all? God says, God says we need church. God says we need one another. Okay. But people do do that. All right. So first of all, faithful. Are you faithful in the little things? Available. Do you find that you're too busy? Do you find that you have no margin? Uh, Because we all have 24 hours a day. And so when there's an opportunity to serve God, you know what I find? I find I always have time for things that are important to me. Don't you find that? You always have time for the things that matter to you. And so the question is, you know, I'm not saying every need you should say yes to, right? Because God doesn't call us to meet absolutely every need. But to stop and pray and ask, God, do you want me to be a part of meeting this specific need? Are you available? Um, I think about doorknobs. Um, Every one of us has done this, you know, where you've had something on a coat hanger or ladies, maybe you've had a purse in your hand and you need to, to put it somewhere and you're not near a closet. And so you reach over, right, and you hang it on a doorknob. Now, if you think about it, a doorknob, I mean, the purpose of a doorknob is not to hang your clothes and it's not to hang your purse, right? That's not why a doorknob was designed. But sometimes it's the most available tool. And look, I can tell you, I don't feel like I'm the best qualified for certain things God has called me to do. And you may feel the same way. But you see, God is looking for your availability. And then he'll he'll fill in the rest. Faithful, available, teachable. Here's a test, okay, to see how teachable you are. Uh, when someone wants something done in his way, how quickly do you say, well, wait, let me show you a better way, okay? I'm just asking, right? Uh, how much do you resist doing things the way someone else wants it done? How often do people who love you say you're not listening, right? Question is, are you teachable? Faithful, available, teachable. On top of this, Jesus was honest with the guys that he chose. So uh, he explained the cost to him in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to jump way ahead, but I just wanted to include this verse. In Matthew 16, he told them this in verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. They knew exactly what he meant. Jesus prayed and he knew exactly what he was looking for in his disciples. Years ago, when, when Caden, um, our little guy, was uh, seven and a half years old, uh, we wanted to uh, decorate his bedroom. And so we went over to Target and we were looking for a comforter for his bed. So it was Connie and I and Caden. And we all went together. And Connie knew exactly what she was looking for because his room already had some some blues and browns going. And so she was looking for something that was going to match that look. And so here we were and there was an assortment of comforters. And her eyes went right to this one that was striped and it had blue and brown stripes. And she was just all excited and said, hey, Caden, this is it. This is the one. Now, (laughs) just at that moment, I happened to look 
about three comforters to the right. And I see one that's made by Marvel Comics. <laughs> and so I said, dude, Hulk, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. <laughs> Oops. Because <laughs> by the time I looked to my left, Caden's eyes were staring at the comforter. But Connie's eyes were glaring at me, right? She knew exactly how she wanted to decorate his room. But apparently, Caden knew what he was looking for, too. So we went with Hulk, okay? Jesus knew exactly what he was looking for in his disciples. And look, I don't want you to leave that in the past, okay? Because it wasn't just the 12 apostles. I mean, today... Almighty God knows what he's looking for. So keep that in mind. Faithful, available, teachable. Okay. Brings us to our third point. Phenomenon. So now, as Jesus' ministry gained momentum, crowds began to form and miracles were taking place. So we'll read about that. Matthew 4, verse 23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So, if you want to draw a crowd, all you need is to offer food and health care, okay, for free. Um, but Jesus knew exactly how to draw a crowd, and sure enough, people came. We go on reading verse 24, it says this, So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So you look there and you see in verse 24, it says his fame spread. And in verse 25, great crowds followed. Now, I don't know about you, but that can be intimidating when I compare myself to Jesus and I think about the volume of his ministry and the things that actually took place. I mean, it never really tells you the exact amount. Here and there it'll tell you, you know, like maybe how many men were there, like when he fed the 5,000. It says there was 5,000 men, right? But then plus wives and kids, you follow? But you just know it was throngs of people. And then these great miracles. When I think about the scope of Christ's ministry, I like to go back and think about the tortoise and the hare, that old story, you know. Uh, just there's nothing flashy about the tortoise. He just kept taking one step at a time. And little by little, he eventually won that race. When I think about ministry, I think if you want to have impact for eternity, it happens one conversation at a time, one life at a time, one conversation at a time, one life at a time. And any one of us here can have that kind of ministry. And God's the one that takes it and multiplies it. The only reason I'm standing in front of you is because years ago, there was a guy named John Neasley that I'd known since first grade. And he cared enough about me to tell me about Christ. And I had seen enough about his life that I thought, man, that guy really has it together. I want what he has. And the only reason Neasley was around to tell me about Christ is because some youth pastor named Mike Walker had worked in Metairie for a period of time. And Mike Walker had noticed John Neasley. And Walker invested time in Neasley that had an impact on me. And that has moved on since then. Um, 
close to 20 years ago. It may be about 20 years ago. I used to meet over here in that very building, in that very same youth building, um, with three guys on Sunday nights. And we did that for about two years when they were juniors and seniors in high school. And, uh, and they were all stud athletes too, okay? There was, uh, it was Jimmy Campbell, who eventually got a, 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 a full scholarship to LSU, pitching for LSU baseball, okay? Uh, there was uh, Patrick Cook, and there was uh, Corey Cangelosi. And uh, sometimes we'd be over there, and we'd just be making all kind of racket playing foosball. And other times uh, we would play chess, and we would play three-on-one, where uh, I would make a move, and then I would turn around, and then they would, you know, uh, make their plan together. And then they tell me to turn around. And sometimes all three of them would grab the chess piece and move it together and say, ha, to be more intimidating. And then they would beat on the table and scream around me while I was trying to concentrate and make my move. And, uh, of course, I was undefeated. But, uh, but then, uh, as much fun as we had, then we would move to prayer time and we would move to talking about the word of God. Just a little bit at a time. One week at a time. One week at a time. This week when I was putting this message together, uh, I thought back and Jimmy, uh, he was the first guy I mentioned. Uh, he came to my mind. Uh, I didn't tell you this part of the story. His freshman year at LSU, he almost flunked out because of the partying that he got into. You can imagine at LSU, right? And so he actually switched schools and finished his baseball career in North Carolina. And while he was in North Carolina, God got a final hold on him. And so this week I thought, I wonder what's going on with Jimmy Campbell. And you know, you can find anybody and anything on the internet, right? And so I, uh, 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 I actually was able to trace him down. And I want you to see this picture. And I'm going to read this story. Uh, this is the caption under the picture. U.S. Navy Lieutenant James Campbell, chaplain for 5th Battalion, 11th Marine Regiment, delivered a sermon over an FM radio transmitter while service members tuned in from their cars parked at 11th Marines Chapel in Pendleton, California, April 17th, 2020. It doesn't take much. It's one life at a time, one conversation at a time. And God will take that. He'll take whatever you offer and he is able to multiply it. Let's move to our application. Number one, here's a question. Are you fat? (laughs) Are you faithful, available, teachable? Okay. Jesus said it's good to be fat. (laughs) All right. So we can all quit Weight Watchers. Okay. All right. But not Juice Plus. Okay. Number two. (laughs) Sorry. Martha paid me three bucks for that. Okay. (laughs) All right. Number two. I cracked myself up. Okay, number number two. Are you connected to the body of Christ in a way you can be challenged? And let me camp out on this one for a second, y'all. Because when we come to this room, it's easy just to hide out, right? You hear a message. That was a good one, pastor. Good one, preacher. And then you kind of leave. But the impact of Christianity happens life on life. When you're close enough to people, where we, you start to see each other's blemishes. And then if you love one another the way Christ wants, you can begin to speak into one another's lives and sharpen one another. Okay? So my question on this one, really what I'm asking is, are you avoiding this? 
because it's more comfortable to avoid it, right? Uh, in some way or form, are you connected to the body of Christ in the way that someone can speak into your life and sharpen you? Okay. Third question is this. Are you speaking into someone else's life? Ministry happens one conversation at a time, one life at a time. All we're trying to do is create a ripple. Let me ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Think about what you just heard. We're going to have one more closing song. But just think about it for a minute and then I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you. Long time ago, when you came to earth, you did many, many, many things. And one of those things was you set an example for us. Lord, in your ministry, it just began in such a simple way. One conversation at a time. One life at a time. Lord, I pray you would fill us with your spirit. And you would work your ministry through us, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.